We are currently in a series called The Wonder of God. Listen to this. The Wonder of God Made Known Through the Church. And in that line, we will be focusing on the word church. So questions that will lead our series is very simple questions like, what is the church? What does it mean to be part of a church? How do we live as a church? And what do we do as a church? Now, we won't necessarily answer one of those questions each week, but we will take a dimension or aspect or a characteristic of church and speak about the wonder of God that He makes known through the church. Now, one of the most important tasks of the church is to make disciples. Brothers and sisters, it's actually a distinctive characteristic of the church, the fact that we make disciples. Think about it. We are not a social club, even though we're social, and we have coffee and we have eats. We are not some sort of um, group advocating for a specific group of people's rights or whatever. We are not a group of people only looking after our own interests. We are disciples by identity. And that gives us a very, very distinctive characteristic. And what that means is that we are being formed, friends. We are being formed as disciples. We are being conformed into the image of Christ. We are being transformed from something that we were, a sinful human being, into a new human, being part of a new humanity as we go and live a life of faith. So if anyone would stand in that door this morning and go, okay, group of people on chairs listening to a lecture, a lecture, what's different uh, between this and a university? It would be the fact that we make disciples. Now, making disciples is both biblical, which is a good thing, and I'll show it to you as we work through the Bible this morning. And it is one of our distinctives. It's right there on our banner. We are a disciple-making church. We want to be a disciple-making church. So just to open up our minds, get some words into our imagination, I want to show you how we describe disciple-making on our website. You might not have seen it. There we go. When we say disciple-making and rooted, this is what we mean. A work of the Holy Spirit. So it's dense. Look at the words. A work of the Holy Spirit, whereby a gospel-centered follower of Jesus Christ commits him or herself to a community of evangelized men and women for an extended period of time with the purpose of establishing them in faith and equipping them to produce third-generation disciples. I haven't written a PhD yet, but that is like an abstract for all PhD right there. If we would take this description that I just read to you, and we would answer the question then, what is the church? I would like to put this to you. The church is gospel-centered followers of Jesus Christ, committed to a community of evangelized men and women for an extended period of time with the purpose of establishing them in faith and equipping them to produce third-generation disciples. Nice one, Reino. Got it. Two questions might pop up. Thank you so much for asking. The first one. Yes. Great. See it. Got it. How? It's a very important question for the life of a Christian. Yes, I, I see this. How? Secondly, where and how does the Bible teach this? Which is a great question. I had a conversation with Stephen, one of our elders the other day. And he said to me, if he sits and listens to a sermon and someone puts something to him to follow or to obey, 
There's always more punch to it if I can actually show you in the Bible where this comes from. And I agree. Churches is full of sexy stuff these days. Ne? These principles and these guidelines and these philosophies and these vibes. It's not going to mean anything if we can't show you actually in the Bible why disciple making is important and how disciple making gets done. And that's what I'll try and unpack today. Okay? As clearly as I possibly can. How are we formed as disciples? How does disciple making work? And where does the Bible teach this? If you are a believer, if you have crossed the line of faith, if you deem yourself to be a Christian, may I ask this morning that you are open to look at this in a fresh way. Discipleship is a loaded word. And it might be that you either, one, think that you know everything about it, or two, you're not fussed about it. Because you've been in so many discipleship models, flows, grids, and circuits that you quite know what I'm going to say. Please don't do that. Be open to look at this in a fresh way. And if you're not a believer, if you're someone who has not crossed the line of faith, still sussing out this old church vibe, Jesus vibe, here's my prayer for you. My prayer is that you will see and understand that a life of faith, a life as a disciple of Jesus Christ, is one massive adventure. It's so exciting. It's so enjoyable to be formed by the Holy Spirit. And being formed by the Holy Spirit is life and life in abundance. This is where we will land. Discipleship is a lifelong process of learning and transformation. I, I really want to say process. Process. But I'm going to say process the whole time. Okay, so just forgive me. And Pumi, you can maybe help me to navigate through that. No, I'm joking. So discipleship is a lifelong pr process of learning and transformation. And every single believer is a disciple. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, our Christ, our Savior, the one who gave it all for us, the one who loves us, the one who stands in the center of our whole being, of all our thoughts, of all our theology, and of this church. We pray this morning that your word will be a double-edged sword, that it will cut deep, that it will guide us, that it will show us, that it will rebuke us, admonish us, edify us, and transform us. You are alive. You've been resurrected. You've conquered the grave. Therefore, the hold of sin just doesn't have a hold on us anymore. We have been set free, and who you set free is really free indeed. We glorify you this morning as our Lord, the risen King, the one who has all the wisdom, the one whose eyes pierces and sees through everything, the one whose feet is steadfast, the one who wears kingly clothes, the only one that can be called the Almighty. You, Lord Jesus Christ, we honor you. We open up ourselves to your spirit to teach us the things that you taught the disciples when you were on earth. And we pray that you will become big in our minds and that you will compel us to be your disciples. I pray against anything that can distract us now. So many to-do lists still waiting for us in the days to come. So many things that happened to us in the past six days. So many things that we carry with us that isn't necessarily even our responsibility. But we worry, Lord, we are thinking about 10,000 other things. I pray now against that. And I pray that this time would be a good, good time of learning 
and refreshing and edifying for all of us. May I speak in obedience to you, Lord Jesus. I pray that in your name. Amen. Okay, so guys, we've got a lot of ground to cover. and I'm going to work word economically. Every believer is a disciple. I said that's where we will land. And that means being committed to a life of learning and transformation. Nice one, Reino. Where do we get this? Let's start at the book of Acts, uh, amongst others. The book of Acts is a great book, guys, because it's a book that's the foundation story of the church. I mean, think about it. Matthew, Mark, and John wrote to us the story about Jesus and his life on earth, also his death and his resurrection. Sorry, and there's also two Gospels that speaks of his ascension account. Luke wrote the same. But Luke, luckily, praise God, wrote a second volume called Acts. And what Luke said was, so this is what Jesus did and taught, and this is how he left, and this is what happened after that. And what happened after that is the church came into being. So it's the foundation story. How this movement started, and how it happened that you and I, more than 2,000 years later, or almost 2,000 years later, can be part of this church being spoken about in the book of Acts. We'll spend most of our time uh, in Acts 2, so you can uh, open up your Bible there if you want to. I'm all, I am also going to put it on the screen. And you can put your thumb in there, and then just uh, page back to Matthew 28 as well, because we are going to start there. So most of our time in Acts 2. But to understand where Acts 2 comes from, I want us to just follow key moments in the story of the disciples. Okay, And for that, we are going to start at Matthew 28, verse 19. It's a very well-known verse. And uh, the emphasis on the slides, in bold, is my own emphasis. Because I want you to see the consistency in the language. And I also want you to see how the story developed. Okay, so here we go. Matthew 28, verse 19. Jesus speaking. And he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them, important words, to observe all that I have commanded you. Okay, so basic summary of those verses. This is what I want you to do. It's a charge. It's an order. We refer to this in theology as the Great Commission. Okay, a few pages on. Acts 1, verse 1 to 5. Luke starting his book, and here's what he writes. He says, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Until the day when he was taken up, we just read about that day, after he had given commands, we just read those commands, through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive, to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. That's Luke saying, this is a real thing and he is alive. It's not a story. Okay. And while staying with them, he ordered them, we just read that, not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, But you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Okay? So we've got the charge. We've got the commission. But now Luke says, Jesus told these people, just wait. Something needs to happen to you first before you can actually do what I just told you. Let's keep reading. Acts 1, verse 6 to 8. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, 
Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority. But you will receive power, bold, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses, important word, in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So just a summary, same charge as Matthew, it's just Luke's version. Okay, so what have we seen? Here's what I want you to do. Hang on, be empowered so that you can do this. Okay, go and make disciples and be my witnesses. Awesome, I know, fantastic. Let's keep reading. Acts 2, verse 1 to 6. So we are now in first gear. Right, here we go. When the day of Pentecost arrived, just as Jesus said, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Emphasis mine. And they were all, emphasis mine, filled with the Holy Spirit, immersed in the Holy Spirit, drenched by the Holy Spirit, and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, because they had a feast called Shevaot. That's why the whole Jerusalem was full of Jews. Verse 6, and at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak, emphasis, in his own language. Okay, so here we go. It's happening. The empowerment has come. Now what now? Let's hop to Acts 2, verse 14. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Peter spoke. That's what he did. He used his mouth. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. And he speaks. And what does he speak? The gospel story. Now remember, he speaks to Jewish people who knows the Old Testament. That means if he refers to the promises made in the scriptures or in the Old Testament, they know exactly what he's speaking about. So what does Peter do? He says, everything you've ever read about in the Old Testament and all the promises made to you in the Old Testament, Jesus is the fulfillment of it. Yay! Great news! He came. The one who the Old Testament promised has come. And His name is Jesus Christ and He is the resurrected King. How do you guys think that sermon worked out? Let's hop to Acts 2 verse 41 real quick. Great success. Just read this with me. So those who received his word were baptized and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. What? I mean, just think about this. And Pumi just said to us, so outside there's a welcome table and there's a little connect card you can fill in. Can you imagine what that must look like if there are 3,000 people going, yep, hook me up. I can't even imagine what a Monday must be like when I give those calls to Jono and go, Hey, Jono, so we've got 3,000 people that wants to be connected to a city group. You know what I mean? That is colossal. But that's what happened. I mean, how do you even deal with that amount of people? 
Okay, let's just pause. So how does the church bear witness? Remember, the charge was bear witness, make disciples. How does the church do this? It speaks, friends. It uses its mouth. When I spoke about that last week, concerning preaching and the proclamation of God's word, therefore, I will not repeat what he said. But it is really important for us to realize this, because we live in a world that thinks that only through deeds we can share the good news of Jesus Christ with people, and we can through good deeds, but you have to open your mouth and speak. We have fallen into an abuse of Franciscus of Assisi's very, very well-known words, always preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. We have used, I mean, if Francis would be alive today, he would go, why did you do that with my quote? I meant live so radical that people don't even have to ask. That's what I meant. The church also bears witness in another way. And that's what I want us to look at today. Let's keep reading. And in the following few verses, Acts 2, verse 42 to 47, uh, we'll camp out for a while during the sermon today. So let's read. It reads as follows. And uh, the emphasis is important that I put on the slides for you. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, important emphasis, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So on first glance, what I want you to see is the lives of the people, the ones who actually received this word through the verbal telling of the story of the gospel by Peter, their lives also bear witness. So it's not only through speaking, it's also through their lives. We read at first glance that they adopted new rhythms to their lives and they lived something that can be described as a common life. And in this common life, they were busy focusing on and forming new habits. Now, people looking from the outside in, this 3,120 people, they found this life bizarre. I mean, this group of people that all of a sudden shares a whole much more than they used to, that submits under this teaching of the small group of people who were empowered by some sort of godly force, claiming that someone was risen from the dead, or was resurrected from the dead, ascended to heaven, and sent this spirit. And for some reason, these people are like really serious about it. It's not like they come and look, and then go, ah, not quite for me today. They come and look, they come to the understanding, and they are all in. So on first glance, what I want you to see from Matthew 28 till Acts 2 now is spirit-empowered witness happens through word and through deed. The word brings into being this new community. Think about it. The word creates this new community. Every single time we bring the word to you, it gives you a picture of something that you actually want to aspire to. And it also confirms who you actually are. 
me? You are God's children. You are heirs to his kingdom. You are um, appointed and going to an everlasting life. You are forgiven. You are gifted. You are redeemed. You are, you are, you are, you are. That creates this new community. And then we see the deed is a response to this word. And that leads to a common life that reinforces this word. Does that make sense? I mean, if I confess that I'm a child of God, and Ora confesses that he's a child of God, and we actually live like brothers, it reinforces the word that we have received. Does that make sense to you? And that's what we read in the book of Acts. And what I want you to see is this becomes in itself a very effective witness. Okay, so I've not answered the how question. I will, I promise. And I've also not shown you the case for being a disciple-making church, which we will do now. So let's go a few levels deeper. Always when I say a level deeper, I think of the movie Inception. Not two levels, three. Okay, so let's look at what marks this community. Okay, and what marks the common life of this community. The first thing that I want you to see is they devoted themselves to something. Now, devoted or devotion has become one of those Christian subculture words. One of those words that we use as code language, but we use it so often we don't actually know what that means anymore. Hmm? I mean, if you're not a believer this morning, you would hear someone asking someone else, how are your devotions going? Dude, how's the devotion The non-believer would go, I've got absolutely no idea what that means. I think it's code language. The believer thinks that we only speak about taking time, about five minutes, every day, trying to focus on something about God and His Word. That's not what devotion means. Devotion, in this sense, means being committed to doing the same thing over and over. Okay? Simple illustrations. Brushing your teeth. Every single day, at least once. You are devoted to brushing your teeth. If we want to have that Greek word really come to its full meaning. It's the same as running for me. I run at least six out of the seven days in a week. I am devoted to running. Every single day, about 85% of the time, I run the same routes. I know the same hills. I know where my watch is going to buzz. But I'm devoted to doing it because I think it's important. And that's why the word devoted is important in this part of Scripture. Our devotion or the things we are devoted to shows us what's important to us because we prioritize it and we repeat it and we keep on doing it because we believe that it's good for us. Does that make sense? Okay, so that is what they mean when they say devoted. Now, what did this group of people devote themselves to? Four things. The first one is apostles' teaching. I'll camp out there just a little bit and then I'll show you the other three things real quick. So they devoted themselves, that piece of scripture says, to the apostles' teaching. This meant, friends, that they gathered. In verse 46, we see that they gathered in the temple courts. And obviously they needed the temple courts, about a rugby field or two, or a football field or two size, because there were 3,000 people. They needed a space to gather. And they also gathered in homes. And what did they do? They gathered to absorb And here, teaching, which tells us that this was a learning community. This community was devoted to becoming learners. They repeated learning situations every single day. It was one of their distinctive marks. Ah, there they go. They're listening. 
coming back on fire. There they go, listening, coming back on fire and getting cooler and cooler. I cannot resist this anymore. I need to go and check what this is about. Now, why do you think this piece of scripture lists the apostles' teaching first? Because what they are learning is about who they are worshipping. Does that make sense? So they have received the word. They now understand that there is some person or some being called the resurrected king of the universe. What can you teach me about him? What can I learn about him so that I can worship him? Now just think back quickly. When Peter spoke in Acts 2 verse 14, was he giving apostles teaching? No, he wasn't. He was telling the story of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the story. This is what it means to you. And you now have the opportunity to become a new human. Do you want to? Yes, I do. How? Apostles teaching. Okay? So the apostles teaching is something different to only the announcement of the good news of Jesus. The apostles teaching helps us to explore the manifold implications of this announcement. I mean, think about it. Do you want to become a new human? Yes. Right. This means a whole lot. And remember, in that time, the New Testament didn't exist yet. The apostles were still alive, though, which was a huge bonus. And the New Testament was being written in this time that the apostles was alive. So what did the apostles do? They gathered the people who said yes to the announcement of the gospel. And they said to them, okay. So this is what Jesus said to us. This is... How he told us to apply it to our lives. This is what he did. This is what we saw him do. This is how we started imitating him. And then this is what he commanded us to do. Do you get kind of the playing field of the apostles teaching? So what does it mean to live as if the gospel is true? If Jesus is the risen Lord, what does that mean for me? And that's the apostles teaching. Okay? For us today, it comes in the form of the New Testament, which is fantastic. I mean, translated into so many different languages. We now have 28 editions of the Greek New Testament. Meaning every time biblical scholars find one piece of parchment, they try and see where this, this fits in so that we can have the most true version of the Greek New Testament we possibly could have ever had. I mean, it's amazing. And I went to university and I can actually read it. I can read Greek and see what's going on there. It's unbelievable. So we have a huge privilege of having a New Testament form that teaches us how to live as followers of Jesus. Now, I put it to you. I put it to you. It takes a lifetime to learn this, guys. It takes a lifetime for this good news to seep into every part of your life. And therefore, it requires a daily devotion to this teaching. An illustration might be helpful. I don't know if these pictures might ring a bell or bring back fond memories to you. In my mid-teens, I wanted to be a skateboarder. It was a real thing, at least in the white middle class culture. So you might be able to connect with it, you might not. So these guys on the left, that was me when I was 15 years old. Someone said to me, dude, I'm taking up skateboarding. And I said, fantastic, tell me about it. And it changed my whole life. It like it opened up a new reality. Think about it. Just think about it for a minute. You write stuff on your knuckles. MXPX. No effects. You don't listen to Backstreet Boys anymore. You now listen to punk rock. 
You can never ever pull your trousers up any higher than that. It's not happening. The older your shoes are, the cooler they are. You don't put product in your hair anymore. The more messy it is, the better. A church building is not a church building anymore. It's a place to live out this new story. A staircase is not a staircase. It's a challenge to ollie down all the way. A handrail is not a handrail anymore. It's something to backside board slide, heel flip to fakey out. You know, that kind of thing. It's a whole new world opening up. And the only picture I ever had in my head was this guy. So that's Tony Hawk. He's one of the biggest skateboarders that ever lived. Can you see Tony Hawk performing in front of thousands of people on the beachfront in California, ripping open that half pipe? Like, that was the vision. I started there with a new deal deck, which I bought secondhand. But that was the vision. And any other place, that's Church Square in Pretoria, was a place where this narrative could be lived out. I had to retrain my whole mind. Like my whole life, the whole way I looked at the world changed. A curb wasn't a curb. A curb was something you took out your candle out of your back pocket and you waxed it so you can grind it. Know what I mean? Skateboarding changed the whole way that I looked at my life. Now for these people in the New Testament, the gospel did and that's why they had to submit to teaching of how that life changes every single day. I remember I watched videos of Mike Vallely and Tony Hawk showing you how to board slide and showing you how to nolly kick flip and those kind of stuff. And I watched that every day. Do you guys still remember VHS? Put the video in. If you watch it too many times, it went... <laughs> ne? Okay, so that was me, especially at the grinding part. Loved grinding more than sliding. So every single day I had to work and live out this new identity. They had to do it as well because they were now God's people. Part of his church. Part of his wonder that he wants to make now. Okay. Second thing they devoted themselves to, and I'll move quickly now. They devoted themselves to the fellowship. Greek word, koinonia. Now we have times of fellowship like we did now in question of the day. We have times of fellowship that we do with coffee and treats. In the beginning. We also have times of fellowship at the city groups. I'll get to that later. Koinonia is more than being together. Koinonia is a commitment to share everything with other people. And I want you to just note that. When it says they devoted themselves to the fellowship, it doesn't only mean they devoted themselves to coming together and leaving again. It means they devoted themselves to coming together, but then having this vibe of what's mine is yours and what's yours is mine, and, and I'm open to share this. And if you need help and I have, then I will help you. It's a little bit deeper than what we might be experiencing in the Western church at the moment. Third thing, they devoted themselves to the breaking of the bread. Now, they mostly ate bread, which means that they devoted themselves to eating together. Okay? It's more than communion we would have in this setting every, uh, you know, well, one Sunday a month. And it's not only eating together, it's more than eating. You know, if you invite someone for a meal to your house, you have to open up yourself in a different way than you would have to at John Dory's on a Wednesday night when it's sushi special. So that makes sense. It's about opening up your life. A quick eat and run story. So there's Dick Lady. We had dessert at Dick Lady's house in Salisville. Was it Salisville or Atteridgeville? In Atteridgeville. Apologies. I know there's like a whole vibe going on there. So, in Atridgeville. So, we drove there, and here's how we started. Hello, 
my name is Reino. Yeah, yeah, Reino. Yeah. And yours, Dicky Lady. Sorry, just that again, Dicky Lady. African three way. Thank you so much for having us. All right. One dessert and two milkshakes later, we go, Dicky Lady! That means the food was great. Thank you so much. See you tomorrow at church. We love you, Dick Lady. God bless you. What changed? The fact that we were in a house. And the fact that she shared more than only the baked pudding with fantastic custard and homemade milkshake. It's more than that. That's why they did it. They had people in their house, and they ate together, and it was in that setting that they had communion. And that's special. If you could sit around a table, share life, love each other, learn how to treat each other as family, and then go, it's by God's grace that we can do this. The fact that He took the heat for us. The fact that He shed His blood for us. Fourth thing, they devoted themselves to the prayers. Okay, now remember. This 3,120 people are almost an entirely Jewish community. That's important to know. Which means they have an almost 2,000-year-old tradition of praying. Okay? So the Jews are known as very devout praying people. They have specific times on which they pray specific prayers. They have cycles of prayers that they would pray through the Psalms. They have cycles of prayers that they would pray through Jesus' prayers, this Christian community now, after being converted. And they gathered to do that together. And I think that's something we should note. Western folk, as well as Reformed folk, of which we are both, we always say that we pray, but we don't often pray together. And like do only that. An hour of prayer turns into 55 minutes of chat and 5 minutes of prayer. And I'm not saying that's wrong. But I believe if we devote ourselves to the prayers, we have to push into that a little bit more and learn how to get together and to pray. Simply to pray. And if you are a growing Christian, it simply means that you are repeating these habits and growing in the the understanding of these ideas. That's it. So they devoted themselves to these four things. The apostles teaching, the fellowship or koinonia, eating together and praying. I showed five, but I meant four. If you are a growing Christian, then you are repeating this day by day. And you are learning how these habits are forming you. Because through these four things, if it's written in the Bible, we will remake our minds. We will remake our lives. And we will respond appropriately or in an appropriate manner to this great story of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we will, live, we will live lives grateful because of His grace. So that is your how question answered right there. How do we do this? Devote yourself to those four things. And I promise you, you will be transformed. Now, huge disclaimer. Huge. You have to have a posture of learning if you want to be devoted to these four things. Can I say that again? The word disciple in Greek is mathetes. The word learn in Greek is mathetewe. Do they sound the same? Of course they do. So a disciple is a learner. Being discipled means learning. You cannot not have a posture of learning. 
You have to be someone committed to learning. Psychological studies shows us that when you turn 25, well, physiologically, really, your brain reaches full size. And that means that your pathways of learning in your brain changes the moment your brain reaches full size. And that means that most people, 85% of people, it's a stat, it's a real thing, you can Google it, 85% of people stop learning when they're 25. How scary is that? That's why I asked the question, what are you currently learning? Because people think when they reach 25, I know everything I need to know now. Specifically about things like money, sex, power, relationships, the meaning of life, etc. All those things that the gospel actually speaks to on a daily basis, we fall into the trap of thinking we know it all. Because we are 25. And in our culture, this is a real thing. That is why when we think about easy, easy accountability questions like, how's your marriage going? How's your relationships with your kids? How are you spending your money? How's it going with your employer? How is your daily devotion going to the apostles' teaching? We revolt against that. Because we don't want to hear that. Because who are you to ask me? Well, I am your brother who tells you that you need to keep on learning. That is why I'm asking you those questions. How dare you ask me these kind of things? You can't or you shouldn't. It's because we think that we know everything. And we'll never be able to be learners, disciples, mathetes. Mathetes is the plural. If we don't learn. Okay. Show me where the Bible teaches everyone is a disciple. I'll do that. Let me tell you why. Because we have in our heads this presupposed idea or assumption that disciples is like the World Cup squad. I mean, let me show you this picture just once again. A picture of the French team winning the World Cup. They went all the way. World champions 2018. Thank you, Russia. Thank you, Shakira. Thank you, everyone. And I'm just joking. This idea of disciples is nowhere to be found in the New Testament. I'm telling you now. Nowhere does the New Testament refer to disciples as this special forces, special group, elected by hand to go to the big stage and really make it. According to the New Testament, the moment you pledge your faith, you're a disciple. Let me show you. So this is Paul teaching to a community called the Ephesians. In Ephesians 4 verse 20, bold emphasis is mine. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Matheteo. Assuming that you have heard the spoken word about him and were taught apostles teaching in him. As the truth is in Jesus. And here's what you were taught and learned. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt to deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. Do you remember this process? That I, I just said process. Do you remember this process that was described? Here's the good news. Here's your chance to become a new human. Now I'm going to teach you how to become a new human. What does Paul write here? You heard the good news. You responded, and what happened to you is you were learned, you were taught, 
And what were you taught? How to move from the old to the new. How to be transformed through His Spirit into the likeness of God in true righteousness. Paul talks about learning all the time. Okay, so show me where the Bible teaches me that everyone is a disciple. That is answered. Discipleship is a lifelong process of learning. Being committed to this learning and transformation. And every believer is a disciple. Let me end off with this. Let me show you how we do this at Rooted Fellowship. How do we make disciples at Rooted? Okay, so the case has been made. That's what we're about. Let me show you how we actually do it like really quickly and really easy. We believe in this little grid. So it was invented by a guy called Mike Breen. He's a massive authority on discipleship. And he says the following. You need information. Of course you do. Okay, the spoken, verbal, word and teaching. You also need something or someone to imitate. Okay, so the more information you get, and the more you see someone who imitates or who you can imitate, the more that will lead to innovation. It's really easy. I mean, let's be honest, that's not a PhD. It's kind of just an assignment. Okay? So get your info, understand what that means, look how it's fleshed out, and then go and do it yourself. He says that is how disciples are formed. Okay, so how do we do this at Rooted? Now remember, we want to be true to the biblical text. We also want to be true to Breen. Okay? And the way we do it at Rooted is we gather people and we teach them, okay? like now. We facilitate spaces for fellowship. I'll show you now. We get people to share communion and break bread. Eden Run was a good example of that. And we teach people how to pray and to worship. So that's where this picture comes from. Okay, so let me show you. Let's start from big to small. Sunday gatherings is our biggest gathering of people. Okay? At our Sunday gatherings, you'll receive preaching. We will do worship through music. And you'll hear communications about where is it that God wants us to go. What is it that we are currently teaching about Jesus. Uh, sermon series. Our multiplication process. All sorts of important things that we need to hear. So we gather and we teach. That's really easy. Secondly, what I said is we facilitate spaces for fellowship. So city groups would be our next smaller gathering. Can you see the plug Huh? Klulo made the plug. I thought it's great because we always speak about we want to plug you in. Klulo picked up on that. So then we plug people into city groups. Now, a city group, listen, is a smaller setting where you will still focus on the apostles' teaching. But where we can share more and have more of koinonia. And we can eat, which is great. And we can pray. So it fits all four criteria. City groups. Okay? It's not a Bible study, but we study the Bible. It's not a social club, but we social. It's not a dinner club, but we eat dinner. It's not a prayer gathering, but we pray. See what I did there, huh? Word gymnastics, guys. <laughs> so it's an important space for us to do what we say we are about. Where we can learn. Okay. Next, we also have spaces that happens every now and then. Spaces is the one. It's for the ladies. So they've done fantastic things. They always do it so pretty. Is a, is a man allowed to use the word pretty? Yeah, I think so. It's always so pretty. They've got cards and little flowers and 
vintage stationery going and all these sexy topics and they all dress well and they go out in nature. It's great. If the men get together, it's like, dude, pitch at Bonzo's house, bring your meat. That's how we roll. But spaces is for the ladies, which is also a place to gather people for fellowship where we can facilitate that, but it's for women only. The man cave, I just said it, Bonzo's house, meat, football. Bonzo's house, meat, PlayStation. Bonzo's house, meat, gazebos. That's kind of the vibe, okay? And it's always been at Bonzo's house, but it's always uh, hosted by Tiamo at the moment. So that's where we can get together. And here's the cool thing. So the last time we got together, we watched uh, the Champions League final. But very soon, they turned into really deep conversation. Ne? Man to man. Some guys bribed four times because the conversation around the bribe was so great. I mean, I saw one guy brying his own meat, eating his own meat while brying the other guy's meat because the conversation was so great, he just couldn't leave. So it happens. Le Kotla, uh, what Mpumi spoke about, is another space for us just to facilitate fellowship, to facilitate times of being together and sharing a little bit more. That goes a little bit smaller. So then from city groups, we dream of plugging people into what we call D groups and huddles. Huddles for the men, D groups for the ladies. Two people, three people, max four people. So at my last huddle, Lesejo looked me in the eye and he said the following, Reina, are you currently reading your Bible? And here's the criteria. Don't go and get the story in Kenya. Tell me yes or no, and then explain. Isn't that just fantastic? Hmm? Are you currently praying? Yes or no, and explain. Are you filling your mind with inappropriate things? Yes or no, explain. Are you taking care of your body? And how are you taking care of your finances? Now, I'm 33 years old. So my sinful nature goes, Who do you think you are to ask me these questions? Amen. But I'm 33 and I'm a disciple. I'm committed to learning. So when he asks me those questions, I go, yes, fantastic time to learn. Let's go. Shape me. It's important. So if that sounds threatening to you, take on the learning posture and just try it. It changes your life because it's small, it's intimate, it's safe. But something happened between Lesecho and I that morning. And it'll forever keep us closer to each other. And then obviously we want everyone to plug back into Sunday gatherings, which is we experience, ooh, listen to this, the whole transcultural narrative. Huh? See why I created that word? I actually wanted to say we speak about it, but I realized that I only speak about it. So this asks for your devotion, friends. The same way that the people in Acts 2 devoted themselves to those four things, in that same way we have to devote ourselves to these four things. And let me just put this to you at the end, and then I'll give a time for response in worship. If we do this well, we are going to be a successful church. An unbelievably successful church. If anyone wants to measure church success, measure the disciples they make. Because the church becomes everything it's ought to be if you make disciples. That's it. Must the church care about poverty? Absolutely. Must the church play a role in justice and reconciliation work? Absolutely. Must the church be light and salt everywhere? Absolutely. Must the church be on mission and share the gospel? Absolutely. How is the church going to be all of that? Make disciples. Because if you make disciples, disciples will do that. The staff of Rooted Fellowship shouldn't organize justice and mercy work. You'll do it. 
But you have to be made a disciple. The staff of Rooted Fellowship shouldn't fly the flag for justice and reconciliation. You will. The moment the gospel seeps into every nook and cranny of your life. Are you willing to devote yourself to this? Because if you are, we'll be the church that makes known the wonder of God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we see you as our Lord and as the risen King. We realize that that gives us this wonderful opportunity to become new humans. And we devote ourselves to learning what that looks like. We devote ourselves to being your disciples, being your learners, and being your gospel-centered followers. And we devote ourselves to doing this inner community that you call your church. That you have designed and called together to make known your wonder in this world. Lord Jesus, give us the courage to overcome our boundaries we have. Break down the walls we have built around us. Even for you um, and this refusal to learn. Humble us once again before you this morning. And make us who you have always created us to be. People who bear your image, conformed to your character. We pray that in your almighty name, Lord Jesus. Amen.